0: Hello, 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 and welcome to 2019. This time last year, as in this exact day last year, I was on the set of Kevin Smith's Kilroy Was Here with today's guest, production designer Brandon Agin. He is one of the many reasons I'm so grateful to have been on that project. He's simply a delight, and I talked to him about what it was like growing up as a child actor making the decision to leave and then come back to school being unfulfilled despite living a seemingly successful life and knowing who you are and where you belong. In true freelancer fashion, the only time I could really catch up with Brandon was when he was in New York hopping around. So he ducked into a diner and I'm gonna ask that you guys just kind of bear with us here. Uh, Some of the audio, you might hear some guys in the background getting ready for their shift, but they were nice enough to turn off the music. So hey, they did us a favor, at least a little bit, but the conversation was great. Brandon is young, but man, he's lived a lot of lives. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this one. Enjoy. Welcome to The Unplugged Creative, a podcast that explores the weird, wild, and wonderful things creatives go through to do what they love. I'm your host, Ariel Zadok, and this is the place to be reminded that wherever you are, you're exactly where you're meant to be.
1: game. So this is where I can find.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you finding time and let me officially welcome you to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you about so many things. I read all your questions and I've been getting kind of mentally prepared. So I'm excited.
0: Me too, because there's so much that I don't know about you. And just reading through what you filled out, I was like, oh my God, I have so many questions.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Ask ask away. The whole thing with, you know, is there anything you don't want me to ask? I was just like, no, I'm I'm totally open. Whatever you want to ask, I'll Game.
0: I love that. And I appreciate that. And I think that people appreciate that as well, because the whole point of this is really to talk about the stuff that we don't really get to talk about and to talk about the things that we generally hide from other people or that we think other people can't connect to. But realistically, being a creative, especially what we do as freelancers, is it's dark, man. It's it's all highs and lows.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I totally, totally get that. Some days you're at the top of your game and everything's going great. And then even if you've been doing it for years and then the next day something could happen, you know, you don't get a gig or who knows. It's just it is it's it's an ebb and flow for sure.
0: Blink of an eye, man. It's in the blink of an eye. Yes. And you started young. You were a child actor.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that's interesting to me. And I guess interesting about my own self is that I started super young, not obviously freelancing, but started in production in a sense that I wanted to be an actor. I loved movies. That was really like the most simplest way to put it. I I just loved movies. I loved cinema, everything about it, from the stories to the acting to the characters and like the looks of everything. Uh, I just loved it so much. And I guess as a kid, when you see something you like, your first reaction is... I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a, as a young kid, as like maybe maybe five or six, and I think for my parents, it was just one of those things that was like, oh, you know, he really wants to do this thing, but just, you know, a like kid says he wants to be a firefighter or he wants to be an astronaut. You know, I think they were they were nice about it, but I don't know if they necessarily thought it was realistic. And then I guess as I got older, I guess maybe it just seemed like it kind of never went away, like that feeling and that personality that I had, it just didn't go away. So as I got a little bit older, I would do the school plays like very normal, but the difference was I was very, even young. I was very focused. I was very like into it. Like, you know, this wasn't a group of other acting kids. It was just a school. And so they just pick, Hey, who wants to volunteer? Who wants to do it? And so I did it once loved it every year after that volunteered, no matter what it was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. How old and were you when you started that? I think the first time I ever did it, I was like six, maybe. I went to a school when I was younger. It was a private school and they had elementary and junior high. And so it was all mixed. And so I was six is what? Like first grade, it's like the very beginning of elementary school. And so the middle schoolers were having uh, their own play thing. They need a couple younger kids and I volunteered and I did it and I liked it a lot. And I think maybe part of the thing for me was even though they weren't much older in in hindsight, you know, they were middle school. So they were probably 12, 13 as a a six-year-old. They were so much older than me. Well, that's a and big
0: gap, with- especially as a six-year-old. That is, even as an adult, sometimes in cultural references and things like that, it's a, it's a jump.
1: Exactly. And I think I saw them taking it seriously, at least in the sense of of where they were at that point. And so it, it kind of like it was ingrained in me. So then I would go forward and I would work with other kids and I was, you know, I would remember everybody else's lines and like criticize people for not knowing their lines and, you know. <laughs>
0: Ever the I, director.
1: <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Exactly. Definitely like a little bit of a, like I can definitely say like a little bit of a diva, a little bit of just like I had the stars in my eyes from a really young age. And then it kind of just snowballed. You know, my dad got me a camera when I was a kid because I kind of, you know, merged the line between the two. I, I liked acting and I started doing the acting and, and my, my dad got me a camera and I I would shoot stuff with my, with my siblings. Uh, I'm the oldest of three other siblings. So oldest of four. And so I would make my sisters be in my like little home movies that I would do. And it was I was very even then insane, like just critical and like very directorial, even though I didn't know what I was doing. It was it just kind of was a natural guidance of wanting to lead a thing like that. And so I got a little bit older. My mom was really very supportive of me when it came to like what I wanted to do. My mom was the type of woman that like, When I was eight years old, I asked her if I could dye my hair blue. She said yes, and she did it for me. And so she was just that type of mom. She's very open to self-expression and being yourself and not being afraid to be who you are. And so I think since that came at such a young age, that's really all I ever knew. And so as I got older, it was just that was the only way to be was to just be myself and not be any other way. I started acting more and she put me into professional acting courses at like a local theater. And I started taking those and I loved them because I finally was at a level with other kids who were also interested in it the way I was and really wanted to be serious about it. And so I did that for a while. And I guess the bigger moment was when one of the teachers I had told my mom, he should be doing professional acting. Like he could do this. I think he should do this. And so she kind of pursued it. She didn't really know much about it. I didn't know anything about it. And so through the guidance of like other teachers and and some agencies that I went with and some management companies that I ended up with, uh, by the time I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old. I had two agencies in a management company that that were getting work for me. This was in Miami, where I grew up for a long time. You know, there's a lot of like teen poppy, like Disney, Nickelodeon type of work going on in there. A lot of modeling. So yeah, this was the 90s too, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, so there was tons of work going on down there, especially for kids.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, I did Oshkosh modeling things and like little things here and there. You know, I, I don't know if you remember, like they had this... A long time ago, they had like a series of commercials, like over 10 years ago, a series of commercials with this tennis player, Maria Sharapova. Mm -hmm. And it was for Canon cameras.
0: Yes, I remember those.
1: And there was this like ad campaign they did where like the tennis balls would follow her down the street. Mm -hmm. I was in one of those commercials and I remember like being super excited about it because they shot it and I was in it. And then it went international. And so I got like another paycheck because it went across the seas. So it was just like, I was kind of learning all about this. My mom pulled me out of school when I was probably 10 or 11. I think like, it's been like two years, like not really doing it super seriously, kind of just gigs that would come when they would come. And then when I got a little bit older, she pulled me out of school. And in addition to the agencies that I was with, she represented me as well. And so she spent all her free time like looking for gigs for me and getting me auditions and taking me to open calls. And so she would do the schooling for me. And then most of my day was really just dedicated to gigs and auditions and, and this. And I spent three or four years consistently as a kid doing it.
0: What was that like for you leaving school and then becoming such an adult in a way at such a young age?
1: As a younger kid like that, it was super exciting because it's just, you don't have to go to school. You can go and do this thing that you love. And I knew pretty early that school just wasn't for me. I think all kids generally don't like school, but I just knew it wasn't where I would excel. But as a kid telling your parents, I don't want to go to school, it just doesn't... It doesn't really like, work oh. out well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just like, shut up, go to school. Like, yeah. Every kid says that. Like but Nobody wants I, to go to school, kid. I just knew that it just wasn't... I don't know. It just, it just didn't work for me. I don't know if it was just the learning environment. I don't know if it, you know, as my parents sent me to nice schools, I just, I had a very hard time with focusing. I went to the tests, like legit. I'll be honest. My parents put me through tests for like ADHD and all of that type of things and nothing like there was nothing wrong. Normal learning environment just didn't work for me. And so it was very hard for me to like not keep my head in the clouds all day. And that's usually what I was doing. I was sitting at my desk in school, like writing stories or drawing comics or like just always creative. Everything in my life was nothing but creativity. It's all I could do It's all I could think about. I didn't want to do anything else. And so I think that's why my mom felt confident putting me through this. I was fine with it. I loved it. I thought it was great because I just I didn't have to go to school. And my mom came up with this lesson plan that basically she was like, most of public school is kind of BS. You really can learn everything you need to learn in like three to four hours a day. And so we would do like three to four hours a day or sometimes we'd double up on days. And so most of my time, like I said, was just really committing this acting thing. And, I, you know, I did some commercials. I did the, the modeling and, and some music videos. And I did a couple feature films. One, I was an I was just an extra for. And then one of the leads had to go back to L.A., so they needed to do all these double shots. And so they pulled eight extras out of the holding, brought us up to the A.D., I believe, and like some of the other producers, and basically lined us all up, me included... And just narrowed us down one-to-one until they got down to me and one other kid about who was going to basically take on this body double role. They picked me, they explained to me and my mom like what was going to happen, and they are like, look, he has the right look for this. We're going to need to cut his hair and dye it to match the other actor a little bit more. We're going to get him a wardrobe, we're going to get him a trailer, Like we're going to do the whole thing. And... Now that I've been working in the business, like I know that while that was really a great experience, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my moment or anything. It was just a moment. That was a big deal for me. And I really enjoyed it. You know, it, it came with pay bump, it came with more exposure, more work. I worked more days. I felt a little more special because I was... I went from being an extra on a, you know, this was like a new line film. So the extras holding, we had 500 extras in the holding. And then I went into my own trailer, right? I I had a schedule and I was called certain hours and certain days. Well, you're on the call sheet now. Exactly. And you know how film is. I would go in some days, especially on a big movie like this, and I wouldn't even work, but I Mm -hmm. still got paid. I, I would just sit in my trailer all day. They wouldn't call me and they'd be like, oh, well, we didn't get the shots we needed come back tomorrow and we'll let's try again. That was my first experience with a film of that caliber. It was like very exciting. And I think it kind of pushed me. So I, I kept doing really a lot of auditions, really rigorously, really trying to get something, got very close to a couple. And the biggest thing I probably ever landed was a Disney audition for a TV show. It was a spinoff to like another show that had been on the air for a while with raven Simone, and they were doing this show where they were casting like a surfer character. (laughs) So I went in and I did this audition. I had like longer hair at the time and I... Kind of nailed this typical beachy, surfery, dumb dude, um, and it, it was like a you know like set studio shot kids show, and so I kind of knew where to put that role, and basically came down to me and the kid that got cast. The kid that got cast lived in LA, and it was a pilot. I lived in Florida, and so just because of normal things, it just didn't make sense. to cast the other kid. Kid got the show. I got a call back like a year later from Disney. And they were like, we loved your other audition. We have another show coming up. We want you to audition for this show. Well, in that year time span, I turned 14 and I went into high school. And when I was 14, I told my parents, I said, look, I want to go back to school. I had been a couple of years. So they put me back into school. So I got this phone call while I was already in school. It was like halfway through the year. And I was just, I had all these friends and I was very, I was in the drama club and I was doing TV production. And I was just really enjoying my, my life I hadn't done in a long time, which is just go to school and have friends and do normal things. Be and, a kid. And so I told my parents, I didn't want to do the audition. And my parents were pretty bummed out. My, my dad was kind of upset. He felt like I was throwing away a big, big chance and who knows what could have happened. Maybe I, I could have ended up becoming one of those Disney kids or maybe it would have just been another fluke and nothing would have happened. But I decided to stay in school and I, and I did that and, and finished high school all four years and, you know, ended up doing other things. I was in a troupe and we did like theater competitions and I went to state and nationals and, I won a couple of awards and had like a lot of fun like that and and uh, started kind of more shifting my focus to filmmaking at that point because acting, except for theater, kind of started to fizzle out for me. And I started to look more towards filmmaking as a thing I like to do.
0: How hard was that decision for you?
1: As a 14 year old, it was very easy. <laughs> because I, you know, you think quickly and you just, you know, you know, you're like, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. And that's pretty much the end of the discussion. So I think as a teenager, it was really simple. I thought about it. I knew it. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I think nowadays it would be a lot harder of a decision mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, as a kid, we, it, it things. Was, we do as a kid, though, I knew what I wanted and I went with my instinct and I didn't look back.
0: And what was little Brandon like? when you didn't get the part? How was that whole process for you? Because if you're thinking about 10 to 14, that is such a formative time. You're going through puberty. You're finding new things on your body. You're getting rejected at the same time as all of this is happening. And it's the first time you're really diving into this world. What was that like?
1: I mean, as far as I can remember, it was, it was definitely a bummer. Like I was I remember going like four auditions for this Disney show. And every time I would go to the next audition and thinking I was that much closer to landing this part. And so the more I would do it, the more I felt confident like it was going to happen and then it just didn't happen. And so it it definitely sucked. And I, I, if I remember correctly, I had like, like a day for sure where I was like pretty bummed about it. My mom, tried to make me feel better about the fact that like, you know, this is normal. This, you don't always get every job you're going to go on and things like that. And I just felt a little, I felt a little gypped. I think maybe that's why I wasn't as into it later on. Because yeah. that was one of my, wasn't my last audition, but it was one of my last big auditions that I had ever done. And I just felt like confused and, and like something was wrong with my ability or something to that effect. Because I had done on paper in front of teachers and in front of, you know, professional uh, you know, actors that would help me. And the list goes on and on. I always got good feedback. Um, but I think it's a mixture of like, they were talking to a kid, they were being honest, but they were also talking to a kid. And I think it wasn't the same as when you go into an audition format when they're looking at a thousand other kids and they just need to get through their day. It's personal. But I was just like, how come, why are 50 people thinking I'm great? And then I go into this audition, continue to go to the audition. They think I'm great too. And then they just don't give me the part. And so it's something that I get now. But at the time, it was a little, it bummed me out for sure.
0: Do you think any of that experience has helped you now when you don't get jobs? Do you feel, is there anything that connects you back to that feeling of being rejected when you were so young, when you're not getting a job now?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I think it's more of like, I've been at this a lot longer than people think I've been at it. And so I'm, I'm used to hearing no's. I know now that I will hear no more than I'll ever say hear yes. And that doesn't mean I won't be successful. It just means, you know, you're gonna. I, I even to this day, I just spent last week, probably in total 30, 40 hours, just applying to freelance gigs, jobs, just ed, everything under the sun, just because I try to get my name out there as much as possible. And I think out of, If I had to count 200 applications, four of them not only called back, but also were wanting to work together. So I think it's just, and I don't take that personally. I know that it's a mixture of I may not have been what they were looking for, or there were so many other applicants, they never even got to me.
0: And it's a numbers game. It's totally a numbers game. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're going to hear no. And in order to get to the yes, you have to get through like a hundred no's. And it's just, especially with actors, for sure, you're going to hear no more than any other person anywhere. <laughs> no is just Absolutely. the word. But you, gotta, you, know, you, you have to take away from every single no that you get. And whether that's how can I improve or what are they really trying to tell me?
1: Exactly. And I mean, I'm always even down to like, as far as the way I am, the way I was as a kid with my head in the clouds and always just interested in like that lifestyle of, of being an actor and being in Hollywood and being... I don't know, I guess part of me, even as a kid, it was, I think any kid would be the same way, kind of wanting to be liked. And so
0: validation.
1: Uh, yeah, validation. And so I would always read all these things or hear all these things about other celebrities or other actors that got rejected a million times. You know, like one of my idols growing up was Jim Carrey. And I read this story as a kid where he lived in his car and he had no money and he couldn't figure out what he was doing. And it's, it's usually the people that have the hardest struggles usually are the ones that come out the strongest. And so anytime as I got a little bit older, I tried to focus on that of like, these struggles are good things. And I started to try to embrace them and try to embrace failure and embrace no's and embrace mess ups and try to use that to my advantage um, as best as I could and try to look at it as the universe saying like you're on the right track. Well, let's
0: fast forward then to your own living out of your car story. That was a surprise to find out. And it's an inspiring thing. It's low when you're there. But I think when you can look at where you're at now and look back at that, it's, whoa, this dude was living in his car and look at what he's doing now. So let's let's fast forward to that point in your life and how you got to the point of living in your car.
1: So it's funny because when I lived in my car, it wasn't as much as you would assume to be from anything negative that had happened. When I moved into my car, I was living in my car and I had a full-time job at an ad agency. So it wasn't necessarily even a finance thing as much as it was a... I was trying to find myself, I think is really what it was. Maybe part of it was the way I grew up and I grew up in a kind of an odd way from other kids. Basically, like I feel like I spent so many years being an adult or trying to be an adult and wanting to be an adult that by the time I was an adult, I was a little burnt out. I felt very tired and very like exhausted for someone so young. And I had moved to Tampa to basically be with this girl that I met when I was I, I, I did go to college for about a year before I dropped out. I couldn't afford film school. I moved to Tampa to be with this girl and and we had a relationship and it was really good. And I ended up staying in Tampa and I ended up staying in Tampa like longer than I had really anticipated. So we kind of fast forward a couple of years and I was still in Tampa and I had never really gone out to LA yet. And I just felt like I had not done the things that I told myself I was going to do. And I felt very frustrated. And so I very on a very split decision move, finished my lease, moved out of my house, put all my stuff in a storage unit, sold a bunch of stuff, sold my car, bought myself a conversion van and was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to move in this van and I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And this is going to be my life. And no matter what I have to do to do it, I'm going to do it.
0: How old and were you?
1: How old was I? 22. This and was about four years ago.
0: So you were still working at the agency or mm-hmm. did you quit at that point?
1: I still worked there. Um, I was, it was like a nine to five. It was in St. Pete. So I was like Monday to Friday, nine to five. I'd go to work and then I'd get off work and I'd get in my van slash house and I would drive it to the gym and I would work out and I would take a shower. And then uh, sometimes I'd go hang out with friends or like go see some family, kind of try to leave the van living until the evening. And then when the day was over, I would go and I would basically crash in this van. And the goal in my head was stay at this agency, make as save up as much money as possible, and move. And uh, I had a baby, and so a lot of things changed, changed things for me. And I think I also just didn't realistically, I just didn't plan well enough for that type of move. I think in hindsight, I would have set up a, a van that was livable while still living somewhere else, and then moving into it. But basically, trying to like live in a van and trying to convert it while you're living in it, and like having your stuff there, it just it was really complicated. It made things really difficult for me. and I didn't save up enough money for like a nice enough vehicle. And so there was just issues here and there. And, and eventually uh, after nine months, it just became too frustrating. What was it and, like yeah. in
0: those nine months? What were some of those darker times like? And what did you feel like when you were there at night at the end of the day and everyone else has gone home and you're home to van and uh, with a pregnant significant other yeah. or
1: ex or whatever it was? I felt super alone I felt very alone and confused and I didn't really know what I was doing. I had already spent a couple of years working in production. It wasn't necessarily hundred percent what I wanted to do, but I had, by the way, I was looking at it. I had, I had made progress. I had made some milestones that I should have been very happy with, but for some reason I wasn't, I, I had spent a little bit of time freelancing and then I took a job at this company and, and started doing a lot of really cool things and working with big clients and like meeting people and learning a lot. But it just wasn't for me it, it kind of felt similar to school in the sense of the structure just didn't work for me i don't know why it's kind of hard for me to completely put my finger on it but it just didn't feel brandon it just it felt odd you know the hours i couldn't really get myself to make the hours work for me I, I tend to kind of be someone who likes to work half of the time early in the morning and half of the time late at night, and, and so my schedule is kind of odd. and It was just hard for me to get into that environment. and On top of it, you know, it wasn't the most perfect ad, ad agency for me. I think maybe there's other ones that might have been a little bit of a better fit. This one was very, very, very corporate. and At the end of the day, it was obvious that it was more about the business than it was about the creativity, and that was very hard for me to to wrap my head around. I think I was just also a lot younger and it was a mixture of things. But at the end of the day, I knew that freelancing, especially because I had done it before, was something that was just more my speed. It was more where I felt comfortable. I felt like I could excel at it a lot better. I was good at the creative. What my boss would say all the time is like, I'm good at the creative, but I wasn't good at the corporate. I couldn't do the corporate lifestyle. Like I wasn't very good. Like I didn't want to like go to like the happy hours that everybody wanted to go to. And like, it just wasn't my scene. And I wasn't into like the gossipy corporate again, it was it felt like school, school again. I didn't yeah. like that.
0: And I think a lot of freelancers feel the same way. Because I know when I, you know, oftentimes I think if I was in the right full-time job and I was producing several things that I really could get into and I believed in and the schedule was a lot freer. I think I would be very happy producing full-time for one company, but other than that and outside of that, there's a rebellious spirit within all of us. And that's why we chose this life. That's why we chose the sacrifices that we've chosen versus stability that a nine to five would give us, even if it isn't within a creative field. So I think that you're One in so many of us that feel the same way that when we get into that nine to five, when we get into that structure, when we get into that, you have to be here from this time to this time. And within these hours, this is when your work has to happen. There's a sense of being trapped. There's a sense of, well, I can't get anything done then. I used to always feel like, well, how am I ever going to go to the doctor? How am I ever going to do this? How am I going to go? I need to take care of things in my own life. And everything else would just totally fall off because I couldn't manage having to be somewhere from this time to this time with no flexibility and also taking care of life. So it's, I I definitely, I understand that. And I think a lot of us do. (laughs) Otherwise we'd have a much easier life.
1: (laughs) And I I, I think in like the normal- day-to-day life, people would have looked at it and been like, well, how could you leave a job like this? You know, I had, I had full benefits. I had paid vacations. I did the same thing. I mean? same Everything. Thing. And I had mm-hmm. The whole, the whole, the whole nine, you know, 401k, all that, all that typical stuff. But it just wasn't, you know, they were, they were nice things. It was nice to have insurance. It was nice to have this, but it just, they weren't things that fulfilled me. I, I didn't, I felt like I was a, like a switch. I was an on and off switch. Mm. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're at nine, turn it on and do it all day and then turn it off. But it's just, it's just not how I work, you know? sometimes, you know, it depends on the project. It depends on the circumstances. And you know sometimes I know going into a project is going to take me a certain amount of time to really get into it and wrap my head around it, really vibe with it. So if that's a case with a particular project or a client, I'll add that in because I have that ability to, to, to say like, I know I need two days before I'm even going to really start the work just to get into the material and really understand what I'm doing because what I'm creating is important to me. And I don't want to just do the work just to get it done, or I want to do it the right way, you know, the way I feel it should be. And so I think that was a big thing for me, you know, with, with the corporate thing, it was all about the deadlines and the money making part of it. And I was about, what about the, about the piece? What about what we're making? What about the importance of that? And no one understood that the way that I felt like I did. And I felt like there were other people that would, would understand me as well. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what is so amazing about film to me you know obviously there's at the end of the day you know it is still a business film it's you know making money and making your days and your schedule and the profit making the film but I think on the other side of it it's just as important uh, on a film set to bring those creative things and you know depending on where you work on a film set sometimes your whole job is dedicated to the, the money and the big business aspect of it. And I like that in film, there are other jobs that are almost entirely dedicated to creativity. I think that's great because I think some people strive better with that. You know, they, they know and that's just how I was. I knew I was a creative person. I knew that's what I needed and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And that if I didn't do that for a living, I just wouldn't feel happy. I wouldn't feel fulfilled ultimately. And I think that's one of the things like my mom gave me was was being able to Understand that about myself quickly and, and young, and know very young what I was going to do. You know, if you ask anybody that has known me for a very long time, they'll tell you that what I'm doing now is more or less what I've been saying I was going to do since I was a kid. And I've always been like that. You know what I mean? It, 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 it was not until I was maybe 15 that I realized that not everybody in the world knows what they want to do when they're young. Mm-hmm. Because for me, I knew immediately
0: most people um, don't even I, know when they're old
1: <laughs> and that's the thing and and i and i meet people even now it like, you know who don't who don't have any idea or even people that i've said to, you know so like they'll be in college or they'll just graduated college or they're you know young in the workforce and i think you know those are three pivotal moments where i'm like well surely you know if you're in college and you're paying for it surely you know what you want to do and more times than not most of them are like i don't really know i'm just doing this as just to do something and well, it's my question the culture. is I,
0: We don't have a culture of figuring it out before you go. I mean, in Israel, everybody goes and serves in the army and then they go to college. In the UK, people go on a gap year and then they go to college. So there are things in other cultures that encourage you to find out what you want to do or who you want to be or even just play around being an adult for a minute before you go into your studies. They give kids the space because when you're 18, you're still a kid. You don't know anything. I didn't know anything when I was 18. I mean, I guess I knew production, but you know, I thought I was going to be a teacher. And then I went to school for like a week and I was like, I have no business taking these classes. I need to be in production, but it's such a fragile age. And most people, I mean, there are so many people that go through to get their master's degrees only to find out they didn't actually want to do that thing. They just spent tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases that they're going to be paying off for the rest of their lives. It's wild. The, the culture that we have around education here, which I, I believe fully in education, but I think there needs to be, we need to learn to allow people the space to figure it out before they go and spend all the money on doing something or learning. Absolutely. Something.
1: I, I always tell people that tell me that they've gone to film school or they've gone to just normal college. You know, I always tell them, like, yeah, that's, that's very admirable. Like, I could never do that. I know I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it four years from school because I'm just not dedicated in that particular way. Like, I would probably be into all the fun stuff, but any of the core, boring, typical book stuff, that's just not me, mm-hmm. I would not excel with. And I'm the type of person that I think, like, most people, if it's something I'm not that great at, I don't really want to do it, you know, and I want to do things that I know I can excel at. I, I leave the things I'm not good at to those people that are good at them. And I try to do the things that I'm good at. And so I just think the whole school structure should be, you know, just slightly reevaluated. I, I don't know why there's such an idea, like a stigma of you have to be thinking about college after high school. Like that's the only option and there's no other option. Yeah, it's um, a lot of pressure. It is, and and you know, I had a I had a year after high school where I did go and do nothing, and I didn't go to school, I didn't do anything. I, I took a year off, and I got a, a job, and I hung out with my friends, and I partied, and I just didn't really do anything for a whole year. I didn't live at home; I moved out of my house with my parents, and I lived with my friends, and I spent like eighteen to nineteen just doing nothing. I just had fun, and I and I just had no I had no responsibility whatsoever as far as anybody else to worry about or any kind of school or anything, and it was great. And after that gap year from 19 until today, I've been working extremely hard to, to make something in my life. So I definitely don't feel bad about taking that year of just nothingness, you know what I mean?
0: No, and you also didn't fully have the opportunity to be a kid because you were working when you were so young. So that has to be taken into account in the bigger picture of your life because most kids, when they're 10, 12, are buffing around. They're not dealing with auditions and adults and being put in adult situations. They're just like hanging out, being kids. You know, you had such a different experience. So for you, it makes complete sense to have wanted and needed that year to take off and just be a kid and just be a person without responsibilities other than feeding yourself or or putting a roof over your head. So I want to circle back around to how you got out of the van and how you got out of the agency. Were those two things simultaneous?
1: They were pretty simultaneous. And what was that
0: moment? What, what was that defining, if there even was one, or if it was multiple, where you decided Mm-mm, not working? I can't do this anymore.
1: So I was pretty close with my boss. I still talk to him to this day. I've done freelance work with him. We stayed, you know, pretty close. He, you know, he's met my son. I've met his kids, and he's he's older, but he kind of took on this sort of like fatherly figure as far as production goes. Like he he really looked out for me. He helped me learn. You know, because I went into this agency. With a lot of natural things that I had learned just over the years of just kind of being scrappy and trying to figure things out on my own, you know, just learning on the Internet and just I saved up and bought a computer and just figured out how to edit and just I did whatever I could. And so between that and a couple of years of freelance that I had done, you know, I went to go meet with this agency and I had already done at this point. Uh, a good handful of commercials on my own that I completely adduced and directed, and done a few things that I feel like they thought were good enough to bring on to this team. As people that, you know, I, I worked at an agency that was pretty cool, but at the same time, I was the youngest one there by a lot. I was one of the only people there who didn't have a degree of any kind, but my boss liked me. He said he believed in me, he thought I, he thought I had a lot of really good potential, a lot of natural ability, and I felt really proud about that. And then I think as time went on, I think it was. I think it was hard for him to convince everybody else. Not that I wasn't doing the job right. I think it's just that they were looking for certain skill sets that were again, more, more about the corporate life and more about the like kissing the butt of the client and just things that again, I do think are important, but I didn't think were the most important. So it wasn't where my focus was. My focus was, you know, story and look and just other aspects of, you know, in this instance, making commercials what is your audience gonna? How are they gonna feel when they watch this commercial? Is it gonna give them an emotional feeling? And it was just like, why are you emotions in this commercial? Why would you? And I'm like, well, because it's like that's an emotions
0: like, sell. That's that's. What you want people to feel, you're selling them a different version of themselves. And the only way they can see that is through an emotion.
1: Exactly. And this was a company that, you know, was all about um, looks and, Mm. you know, being pretty and being rich and being just, you know, which is cool and all, but it just wasn't.
0: It's more old school as well. I think it's only been fairly recent that advertising and brands and even individuals who are a brand themselves are understanding that it's actually emotions that are driving people to take action on anything. It's more about the psychology and, and, and and it's not a manipulative thing. I mean, I guess it can be for the wrong brand, but you're selling a different version of them. And so you, you have to tap into that emotion. And for you to see that and know that, that's probably from your acting background, to be honest with you, because you worked with emotions and you were working with feelings. So then as a creative, of course, it makes total sense to me thinking about it, that you would be inclined to that. But I can see how you would be up against a wall because it wasn't always the way the
1: things were done. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I had this boss that was very supportive of me, but at the end of the day, he had bosses and those bosses had bosses Mm -hmm. and he had to, so there was only so much, exactly. So it's only so much he could do to save me. And so there was just a lot of things, you know, when I got hired on, they had said straight up, look, we want to put you in this position, but this position is not available because we had already promised it to somebody else. And that was the first moment, the first red flag of this job And the thing is, when I took this job, I took it for a very particular reason. So even though I was given this red flag, I still took the job. And so I I did feel a little cheated because in my interview, I was told basically like, you're good enough for this position, but we won't give it to you. We'll give it to someone else who's not as good, really only because of a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And I felt cheated. I felt kind of cheated. And so they said... If you really want to work here, we can give you a position, but it's a lower level position. So I, I first started as a lower level producer and I went in day one in the back of my head thinking I should have gotten this other job and I didn't. And that kind of sucks. And so, again, because of the hierarchy, it didn't matter how good I was or how much I did actually know to everybody else except for my boss. I was just this lower level producer producer and I did lower level things and that's all I should do. And that, you know, I was good enough to get coffees and get paperwork together. But when I wanted to give input on stories or, or shooting styles or just any of the creative look, I wasn't really heard enough. How did My you deal with was,
0: that internally and everything that <sighs> potentially came along with that for you in your head?
1: You know. It was, it was a tough time because I, I was I was in a relationship that wasn't the best. And I didn't really feel like I had anyone to go to for support because I felt like my my complaints weren't that valid. I felt like I was basically at the end of the day just saying like, oh, this job, this awesome cushy job I have isn't letting me do everything I want. And it's just like, dude, you're, you know, you're 22. You have this great job with all these benefits. You're working with people who are twice your age. You should be very thankful for this. And I, and I was, but I didn't feel right, and I and I felt bad not appreciating it as much as I should have, and I just couldn't figure it out, and, and I didn't really know who to talk to, and a lot of it I just internalized. I just I, I I needed this job, and so I stuck on the path even if I didn't feel right about it. I was you know, I was there for two and a half years, so I obviously stayed, is thinking maybe if I stay a little bit longer, things get better. And my boss definitely was great. Like I said, he was like a father figure in the sense of production. He taught me a lot of things, or things that I kind of was on the right track about. He would kind of help me really realize exactly the path to go with my my thoughts on how to do this or how to do that. So it was just things I, certain things I did need to really be taught from a professional standpoint about just etiquette on set or just all these types of things, things that I, I was able to produce a cool looking commercial, but behind the scenes, there was things that could have been done better to streamline the process. And those were the things I learned from him. He was, he's a great producer. And he taught me a lot of great things about dealing with clients and actors and dealing with, not even actors necessarily, more just talent as far as models and dealing with big brands and, and how to present yourself and how to come off to a client. And so he taught me a lot of great things and he threw a lot of jobs my way. I mean, there was, there was even moments, or like because it was so he believed in me so much but there was this hierarchy he would actually give me he would say look he'd bring me to his office and be like, look we're gonna do this promo you're gonna direct it but my boss is gonna come to set and she's gonna want to see someone higher up directing it so if she asks and if anybody on set asks that person's directing it but I've already told that person that you are so it was kind of this weird thing of like a lot of back and forth kind of not sketchy but just kind of
0: but it is. And I that preach- happens with women now. And I'm sure and it, it happens it, to the young people, too. But it's it's crazy when you think about it. Just trust
1: people. Just trust. And that's a, and that's the thing. It's like I for such a long time, I thought it was such a and my, my opinion has changed on it. But back then, at least it was like I, I thought I was doing such a good job being so young and being so scrappy that like I did manage to squeeze my way into this agency at such a young age and and be next to people who went to college for years to be where I was and in the in the producer role that I was there was two other producers that were in the same level that I were they both went to college they both went to you know one of them went to grad school like they worked hard to get there and not that I didn't work hard but I just worked differently and I thought I was doing such a good job because I thought I would be looked at as like, wow, you're so young and you've done so much. That's so admirable. But when I got into this corporate scene, it was the first time that instead of being looked at as a good thing that I was young, it was looked at as a negative. You were punished for it. Exactly. And I felt frustrated because I felt like you guys brought me here. You invited me here. You asked me to come. You told me to my face how great this work was and that it was very, you know, very good for this type of, you know, I remember him saying, you know, you're the type of creative that we need here. We don't have anyone who, who thinks that way. And then I got there and I was picking up coffee totes. And I just felt like I was kind of cheated a little bit. I felt like I wasn't really given the full experience that I wanted to, you know, that, that project that I produced ended up coming out and airing on the network that we worked with. And I remember the, my boss's boss telling the other guy who was the fake director, mm. how great it was and how good it looked. And I basically had to just be quiet and I couldn't ever really, at least at the company publicly really be obvious about the fact that it was actually my project. And so those were some things that just, I felt very frustrated with that led to the, you know, me leaving basically.
0: Was that frustration showing up and manifesting in different parts of your life in relationships or money or drinking or anything like that?
1: Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, there was definitely some other things going on that contributed to it, but I'm being completely honest, I I did go through, I went through about a year. Um, you know, it wasn't super consistent. It was, it was on and off, but I went through a hard year of um, drinking and, and just feeling like I needed to cope. And I wasn't really sure why. I just felt like, I just felt like I didn't feel good about life and didn't feel right to me that I felt that way, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm. Because, because again, when I looked at it, I had a nice apartment, I had a nice job. I had everything that really I should have been happy about. You know, I, I went and I would, you know, hear that my friends from high school were still living in the same town or still doing the kind of same dead end thing. And I and I was like, why am I not, why am I not happier? I don't understand, you know, am I just, am I just being appreciative? Am I being a brat or am I, do I really have something valid here? And yeah, I kind of just went through a dark place and I felt very alone. I felt I had friends, but I still felt alone.
0: Well, how could you not, I, if you really had everything in front of you and everything on paper looks so good, but you also felt like you were not being treated respectfully. You weren't there getting what you were promised and you didn't have anybody to really talk to about it. How can you not feel isolated like that?
1: Exactly. So I remember the, the one of the last moments that happened was I, I can't even remember the details, but I think my boss had called me and basically just had had a complaint about something. And I was just kind of it was like the last straw. Mm. And I remember I looked at the girl I was dating at the time, who is the mother of my son. And I said, I got off the phone call. And I was looking at her and I, and I said, I think I'm going to quit my job. I was like, what would you think if I did that? And she said, go for it. And so I gave it a little bit of time. I, I think I, I waited like two or three weeks. You know, I used like, I think I used, I used like all my, my PTO and all my, yep. you know, <laughs> I, I tried to just re- take advantage of his, of all the little perks I had before they were gone. And then I told my boss I was leaving and I put my two weeks in um, and, and he was supportive. He was like, look, you know, I knew that you really only should have come here for a temporary amount of time to learn what you can and get what you need, you know, and he, cause he always did tell me that he was like, take what you need, like take advantage of this place, take everything you need from this place as much as you possibly can. And when the time comes, just leave. He's like, don't stay here forever. You know, cause I was working with other producers there that had been there for a very long time. Um, and I came in as I normally do in life, just very eager and very loud and very like, kind of shaking things up and it's like you've got these other producers that have been working here for years and I'm just this young kid who was just like throwing out ideas you know it wasn't normal and so I told him I was leaving and I and I and he you know he was great and he shook my hand and thanked me for everything and two weeks later I was gone what year was um, that that would have been man mid to late 2015 maybe 2016 I want to say it's been about 3 years
0: and now let's fast forward because it's 2018. You are working as a production designer. You and I worked together with Kevin Smith on Kilroy was here, yes. which was so fun. Yes, yes. And I adore you and you're amazing, by the way, side note. And um, <laughs> and you are working on seven features this year and five shorts, or is it something it's, uh, like that? Five years-
1: I did like seven movies this year and out of those seven movies, it was, yeah, it was five features and two shorts. One of those five being one that I'm doing at the end of the year, but Still, I guess, technically counts as 2018. Totally counts. Um, And and that's crazy to me because I wake up every day and I, especially this year, this year has been one of the best years ever as far as my career goes because I I had to step back at moments and be like, all I do is work on movies. Like that's all I did this year for the most part. I had a couple other gigs here and there, but generally speaking, a lot of my year, I spent a lot of time months and months on particular projects and it was just amazing because Film sets are one of the places that I feel the most at home. Just everything about being on set. And that's how I know exactly where I want to work in film, because it's not just in film. Like I couldn't I couldn't be in an office, you know, working on mm. the accounting or, or working on It's just it's being on the set. It's everything from the camaraderie of the lunch line in the middle of the day <laughs> and, and just I like seeing all the departments set up in the morning and I love just that feeling of everybody's working extremely hard from like call time to shoot time, just Mm -hmm. trying to get so many things done. And then, when we get to the end of that four hours or two hours or whatever it is, to see how much has been accomplished, just it gets me so excited. It gets me really energized. It makes me do my job better because I love being in that environment. I love being on set. I love working with people on set. I love seeing it all come together. Like, I feel very comfortable. I feel very good at what I'm doing. I don't feel stupid. I don't feel it's where I feel the most comfortable. It's the thing I didn't have at the other jobs, you know, why it didn't work out. And so, this year has been. Great because you know I had I'd done other movies in the past, but this year doing so many in a row really cemented one. This isn't something I'm gonna get sick of. Two, being able to confidently say without being cocky that I know I'm good at this. I know yeah. this is something that I'm I'm good at and like I excel at and I feel like I'm good at it. I don't feel like I'm trying to be good at it and it's hard for me. I feel like it's a natural thing and, and that was that was so good. You know, working with Kevin was great. Working with Dylan McDermott was great. Doing all these other projects was great, but the thing that was the greatest for me was just feeling like, just the most simple feeling of like happiness of like this is this is right. This is how I this is I know this is the right thing. This is my path. This is where I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And. I love working with you. You're you're one of my favorite people to work with. That's why I asked you to do this podcast as well. And I'm so happy that I did because there's so many things about you that I didn't know that I <laughs> would have never known without this opportunity for you and I to just sit and talk and explore like this. And it's so interesting. And I've I've done agency time as well. It's kind of like it's prison. It wasn't prison. I happened to work at the number one creative agency in the world, and it was the most incredible experience. And I never knew that you and I had that in common. And it's, it's so fun. And I think that There's so much you can learn in that world, even though the advertising world and the film world are so different, there's so much beauty in both of them. And there's so much that you can take from advertising and then apply to film production as well. So for you, it, it hasn't taken that long to get to where you are in terms of being a production designer. You are the head of your department. You've been doing that pretty much all year what were some of those moments in between the moments between when you quit your job and where you are here that were maybe doubtful or hard or just that the struggle, what were some of those things?
1: So, uh, before I had went to the agency, like I told you a little bit, like I had done a few commercials, like I had had some success with that. Like I worked with advertising agencies one-on-one as a freelancer and they would have a client and they would hire me to do commercials. And I honestly think at the time it was like, I was a kid who was, who was affordable for this agency, much more affordable than other people. And I had a lot of ideas and I wanted to do a lot. And so I would go into these companies and I would like, they'd be like, Oh, we we want to do a commercial for a plumbing company. And I would give them eight scripts with storylines and and all this detail work and characters for these commercials. And I was like, let's, I was like, let's do comedic commercials. Let's, Let's do something super funny. Like let's, I just want to do something different. I did not want to be the same thing. And so when I went into the agency, I had a lot of that experience. And so when I quit the agency and I went back to freelance, I took the two experiences, freelance before I had worked, like even though the the freelance at the time was professional, when I went to the ad agency, I felt like I had learned a lot more professional things. I kind of combined the two. I took the professionalism from that and I took my creativeness from when I first started doing freelance and just my fearlessness of being like, hey, I don't know you, but here's some ideas. I think this would be great. Like cold calling companies and just wanting them to work with me. So I took those things and I combined them. And when I left the agency, my goal was do as many things as possible. I still wanted to stay focused on what I was doing. I didn't want to take a million different types of positions, but I wanted to feel well rounded. And so even though some of the things I was doing weren't things I wanted to do, I knew they were necessary. You know, I, I did reality for six for six months. I did an entire season of a reality show and learned what the reality life was like. And I don't know if i would necessarily do it again anytime soon just because it wasn't my thing but i was really happy to learn how it worked because i know how that that field is and i know i could jump into it if i needed to and i feel like even though i may not do reality again it it taught me some things i could use for other projects you know, I did reality for a while. I did a lot more commercials. Um, you know, I was doing editing like I had always done, which was kind of my beginning, how I first started getting into the business. And so I was just doing a lot of different things and trying to figure out what I was doing. I knew I wanted to be a director, but I was, Smart enough to know that that wasn't a thing you just go and start doing and making money off of. It's just not realistic. That's why when I was doing commercials, I was directing technically, but I was getting the jobs because I was producing. And then I would just take the directing job as a secondary thing. You know what I mean? But I knew really at the end of the day, the money was coming from producing. It was not coming from directing. So I was like, okay, well, I can't just sit in my room all day and and daydream about directing. I have to start being practical and start thinking about like a skill set that I really can use. And I think really it was just like doing a bunch of different types of production to learn how can I direct without directing.
0: Mm, yeah, <laughs> Which production designing is a big piece of that. I think, Because you guys create an entire world. You create where the actors come in and play. And, and there is a big directing aspect to that, I think.
1: Absolutely. I think that's, I think like everybody in production, a lot of people don't really know what we do in production design. <laughs> I didn't know much about it before and what i learned eventually was that when i was directing and i was producing on these commercials and especially when i had these smaller gigs and we had you know 10 crew guys and stuff like that was that as a director i was essentially production designing all of my own stuff mm-hmm. i didn't have a production designer i didn't even know honestly even after being in the business for a long time what a production designer really was for because even at the ad agency we didn't have production designers at the ad agency we had we had set dressers we had little jobs like that but we didn't really have anyone who did that the people who did all the creative and all the big box thinking were the were the producers or were you know the the client themselves and so when i started to kind of learn more about like what production design was for i realized that i kind of had already been doing it just in the own projects that i like to do myself whether it was a film or whether it was a a commercial for a client the the sets and the design of everything was very important to me and how everything all came together like i really like great actors and great acting But I also knew that I needed a great house to shoot them in and a great set for them to be in. And the costumes had to look a certain way. And all of those things were super important to me. And so I basically just kind of worked backwards almost like I already knew, quote unquote, how to production design. I just had to learn some more of the technical things since I hadn't really explored that area And the more I started to learn about it, the more I was like, oh, wow, I already do this. I already do that. I already..." And so I did a commercial that I art directed. I loved it. And I basically just begged a friend of mine, Brandon, actually, Brandon Hyde, to put me on a movie, basically his word, and that was it. And so he talked with DC. And after I did the commercial with them and basically convinced them to give me this job as the production designer for this movie. And they were pretty confident because... They had worked with me before and they had worked with me when I was directing and worked with me when I was producing. So I think they were kind of on the same level of like, okay, well, he's done these movies. He's done these, He's done this. He knows what looks good. This could this could work. And so I went into it and it was it was great. I mean, it was I had a great time. And I met you when I was art directing Kilroy 2. And then halfway through production, our production designer basically left the production went back home, uh, Nick, I remember Nick talking to me and was like, look, you're basically gonna have to take over. And this is just, you. it's just, you now. like, mm-hmm. do, you feel, do you feel confident? And I took that as a, as a challenge for sure. And I was like, I took it with pride. I was like, yeah, I could do this. I was like, I feel confident. Honestly, even before he left, I felt like I was doing most of the work that I was doing. So I, I'm yeah.
0: You were, I mean, it. from my perspective, I dealt with you the whole time. I didn't really have too much. To, I mean, he was great he was wonderful, but I didn't really have too much to do with him on the second leg of Killer Roy. And so by the time it was, it was mostly you and I. So then by the time it was the third leg of Killer Roy, I was like, oh yeah, of course this makes total sense. And great. Yeah. Now it truly is just you. I mean, obviously you and I and everybody else, but now it truly is just you and I working directly, which was wonderful.
1: Yeah. And I think it just, it, it just kind of, uh, had a really good year of, I want to say it's a mixture of hard work, a mixture of luck, a mixture of people believing in me and trusting me. And I would—I knew that I needed to make this, this particular type of production I was doing. I needed to work even harder than I had ever worked before because it felt so right that I was like, I need to keep doing this. And I'll be honest, it's not even like I am at the point where I'm like, I want to be a production designer for the rest of my life. I love production design. It, it ended up becoming something that I never thought I would be doing that I turned like it, it was a brand new thing like as a kid this wasn't on my radar as a teenager this was not on my radar and when it finally got on my radar it was so perfect for me that I felt like this was so good but at the same time I also thought this is exactly what I've been looking for I've been looking for something that I can do that will help me become a better director and will lead me into directing more and what it's given me the opportunity to is work literally hand in hand right next to directors like Kevin and other directors and and not only getting to work with them as far as collaborating with them, but also because of the type of job I have and the type of work I have to do with them, having, I, I kind of have to pick their brain. Like I have to talk to them and I have to figure out what they like and I have to figure out mm-hmm. their style and their, and the way they do things in order to do my job correctly. And so I was like, this is about as close as I can get to directing these movies is, at least getting to direct the sets and the design and the look and the way everything will come together. Like, you know, the director is going to mainly focus on the acting and the storyline. And he obviously is going to have his input on what he wants everything to look like. But for the most part, he's going to give me the reins. And, you know, and every director is different. Some directors are after based. Some directors are camera based. Some mm-hmm. directors are, are production design based. Um, but for the most part, what I've experienced is a lot of directors usually give me a lot of freedom, some of them even more freedom than others. Some of them completely give me the reins a hundred percent. Yeah. And some of them, you know, have their input. And I personally like it when they, when they have more input than not, I'd rather be collaborating with you than you just kind of being like, Oh, I don't care. Do whatever you Mm -hmm. want.
0: And then say, no, actually I don't like that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, I just felt like that, that I was doing it. Like I was, I was doing what I wanted to do. I was doing what I should be doing and it kind of came out of nowhere and on top of it, I was good at it. So I did one and then I did another one and then, and then they kind of just kept coming. And, and every time a new film would come, it would get more intense, bigger budget for PD, more crew, bigger things to accomplish. And I thought, if I can just keep, you know, I'm going, essentially I'm going uphill. I'm not even going downhill a normal way that anyone else would. I'm starting at the bottom with easy production design work and I'm going uphill and just making it harder and harder and harder for myself. But I was, again, I was, I took the challenge with pride and I was like, I can do this. I definitely can do this. And every time they would come to me with a new movie or a new idea that I was going to have to basically do the production design for, I was like, most of the time, the very first time they would tell me, my knee jerk reaction in my head was like, I have no effing clue how I'm going to get that done, but I'll do it. I'll figure it out. And I I think over time, even though it's been just just that year, I had to learn so much so quickly. Mm -hmm. I had to adapt so fast, but I also took a lot of skills from other jobs I've done. I took the skills that I learned as a producer and I took the skills that I learned as an editor and as an actor and kind of combined them into the job that I do now, because now I know how actors think to an extent. I know Mm -hmm. how they want to be treated, how they act on set, you know, I know how to interact with them when it comes to my job is whether it is props, whether it's set dressings or, you know, whether they're in a compromising situation, like being tied to a tree, Yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) And so that, that helped a lot, you know, producing and working with clients and working, you know, as far as scheduling goes, It helps me with scheduling my team for my job, you know, because as you know, you know, we'll shoot a movie for a month, but my job starts two, three, four months prior to that Mm -hmm. with another team that I'm coordinating everything just to get, to that day one you know that first day of shooting is like our prom it's like we've been waiting for this day all year we've been working our butts off to get to the first day of shooting because we've been building and creating and sourcing and doing all this work and now is kind of the moment where we can kind of show off all the work we've done is day one while everybody's kind of starting their first real day mm-hmm. we're like dude we've we've, we've been in this characters. world for so
0: long <laughs> yeah yeah
1: We've been, we've been living in the Kilroy world forever. Like, we yeah. you know everything about this movie. And so I, li- I like that. I feel, I feel like production, it has its own little special area that is very different from a lot of the other departments. And I, I really enjoy that. I t- and I take a lot of pride in the work that we do, 100%.
0: Well, I like to wrap everything up with a challenge Uh, and it's not for you. It's for you to give to other people. And then they can share that using the hashtag, the unplugged creative, and then we can kind of see what people are doing. So what would you like to give is the challenge coming from you? And it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. hard. It's just a little creative fun for us to all have together.
1: Um, I think for me, you know what? I'll give you the best example. Because for anyone who's listening, um, I'm not sure if you've you know, said this early in the podcast or not, but uh, I'm, I'm in New York City right now, right? And I don't live in New York City. I didn't move to New York City or anything like that. I came out to New York City because I wanted to get a job. And the job that I have was hiring a New York local. And I'm not a New York local. Um, and I've done this before with other s- cities. I did it in Boston as well. Where I'll apply for a local job, I'll scope it out, figure out how you know what are the days, what's the schedule like, is it going to be worth it? And uh, in this particular case, it was. And so I came out here, and I'm and I'm just doing it. Some people might think that's insane, but my challenge to other freelancers would be like not necessarily do what I'm doing 100, percent but get make yourself a little uncomfortable um, because there's this quote. And I'm going to look at it on my phone because I don't want to butcher the exact wording (laughs) of it. But basically, the quote has to do with feeling uncomfortable and how that pushes us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the quote is, to get ahead in life, you have to go outside of your comfort zone. And for me, you know, this is a great city, but I'm not, I don't know a ton of people. I don't have my house or all my creature comforts with me. But I'm out here because I know I, uh, you know, I want to make these connections and I want to get farther in my career. Production designing this year has been great, but I'm ready for the next step in another city, you know, with new clients and and new people. And so for me, it was worth it. So my challenge to other people would be to get outside of your comfort zone, whatever that may be, um, and do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else. Do it for yourself. Get outside of your comfort zone and embrace the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness and uh, focus on the end because it'll, it'll definitely be worth it. And eventually you'll start to like it. So
0: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Always love spending time
1: with you. Yes. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it uh, all the time and all the questions and everything like that.
0: It's fun. I wish I could share everything. I wish we had hours and hours and hours, but we'll just have to have you come back on. Next time you're in LA, we'll have you come on and and we can sit in the same room without um, clinking in the background. Yes,
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And let me know. That would be so so nice.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Head on over to theunpluggedcreative.com to check out the show notes and link up with each week's creative. If you're digging this show, I would totally love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes. That's gonna help people learn about this show and probably help other creatives say yes to doing it who don't actually know me yet. Special thanks to James Granger for his original music. I'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Until then, keep on that creative path of yours. You never know where it might lead.